ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's time for What Do You Call It Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of What Do You Call It Podcast. I'm your host, GB. And football is not coming home. For the most recent episodes that you've heard, you've heard me say football's coming home. We're going to win it. But unfortunately, the Italians stopped that from happening. But the World Cup's next year. So it's coming home. But anyway, my next guest today, he actually invented the sunset flip. He's six foot three, 275 pounds, the best crossbody in wrestling since Ricky Steamboat, Pan Arabian champion. Please give it up for Sunset Skip. How you doing today, mate? You right? Buongiorno. Assalamu alaikum, brother. It's Sunset Skip, coast to coast like butter and toast. GB, it is my pleasure to be joining you. It didn't come home, but even better, Sunset Skip and GB are together today. That's it, man. Who cares about football when you got us talking about wrestling and general life? So, Absolutely. I've got to ask, before we do talk about your wrestling career, I want to ask what actually made you a fan of wrestling, because I know you said... To be your influence, there have been a lot of wrestlers that are actually no longer with us, but icons, Rowdy Piper, Macho Man, and Brian Pillman and Dusty Ropes. I want to ask, you basically want to hear from you, how did you become a wrestling fan and what inspired you? Ah, well, the, the short answer is I watched it with my granddad. I, I'd stay for the occasional weekend with my grandparents and I remember seeing it on. And the very first match I remember was uh, Hercules beating what we now call a, a jobber match, a squash match. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool. And then fast forward to a few months later, and I saw Flying Brian Pillman and Jushin Liger have a match at Super Bowl 92. And I remember really vividly, is at my friend's parents' pub at the time. And I remember seeing this match, and it blew me away. I'd seen wrestling mm. and thought it was pretty cool. And then seeing this kind of guy in little tiger pants wrestling a real-life superhero, from then on in, I was hooked. Just that is such a superb match, by a technical masterpiece. Oh, Love it. Stands up today. It's what made me a fan of Lager and Pillman back in the day. Um, also, I've never, ever heard anyone say Hercules Hernandez is what got them into wrestling. So it's always Absolutely. a first on the show. That's, <laughs> I love to be the man of firsts. <laughs> that's awesome, man. I love that. Uh, so I want to ask as well. So what actually made you basically become a wrestler? So what actually, what was the decision? Was there a moment in your life before, okay, I actually want to do this sort of on a professional level? It was, yeah, like lifelong fandom. Loved it from being a kid and dipped in and out through my teenage years. And when I was about 17, 18, I was working with a guy who was like, you know what, we should, we should give this a whirl. And thought, yeah, let's do it. I'd always uh, been quite into physical sports, martial arts, rugby, stuff like that in my, mm. in my youth. And I thought, you know what, I, I reckon I could probably withstand the physicality of it. Didn't realize just how murderous it would be physically. <laughs> and uh, yeah, gave it a whirl and never looked back. And that was in the... Uh, well, in, in this iteration, the Sunset Skip, it was in the late 2001, early 2002. So, fair, fair old innings already. Quite a while ago, at the peak of wrestling fandom. So Absolutely. So, obviously, I can imagine it being quite busy as well. I just want to yeah. ask, where is it that you did train to become a wrestler? The very first place I trained fully uh, on a regular basis was Dropkicks in... Perfectly. Uh, Essex. Yes, yeah, yeah Essex. Yeah, that's it, Lakeside, uh, with the... Uh, 
world of sport legend Tony Scarlo and mm. Frank Reimer, who's a, a wonderful journeyman wrestler. We sadly lost Frank. I think it was the start of this year. Uh, so learning under two two old school guys who really, really knew their stuff and went from there on in and trained under the new breed quite a bit under Johnny Kidd. Got kind of some of my first breaks and first matches under holiday camp shows that Johnny Kidd and Blondie Barrett promoted. So I had such an incredible uh, uh, learning tree to, to break in under 20 years mm. ago nearly. So it was absolutely wonderful experiences. That's great to hear, mate. And I want to know what were some of the biggest uh, challenges that you experienced when it became... Um, Oh, wow, that's a good question. Probably one of the things I found really, really tough was trying to do a flip bump. Like learning how to do that was super difficult because mm. you're doing something which your body's going, no, 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 not going to do it. And you're trying to cancel out everything in your body to go, no, it's all right. Jump, land, you'll be all right. And somehow you managed to talk yourself out of it. But yeah, apart from the kind of the usual trials and tribulations of wrestling, it's, I ha it has been a passion and a love ever since. I remember that scene on like Tough Enough episodes and like it looks easier said none, but that's like me sitting on my couch and stuff. But when you actually got to do it, it's like, oh shit, like you just said, you nailed it. Like you don't actually have control. That's it. Like <laughs> just anything like that. You, I mean, if you see you see people doing it well enough, you, you think it looks really easy. But when you try and do it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's really difficult. So uh, <laughs> that was that was pretty tough. Nice. Man. And you would go on to do actually become a coach, but I will talk about that uh, yeah, in a few absolutely. moments. Uh, what I want to know is in another lifetime, you were known as Rich and Famous. Absolutely. I just want to know what was what who was Rich and Famous uh, for the listeners that were basically not familiar with him. Well, Rich and Famous, he had a lot of different iterations. So he started out life as a, it was in the It Girl era. So he wanted to be kind of a male Paris Hilton, kind of that obnoxious, spoiled <laughs> brat with the, uh, I, I found a photo this morning, funnily enough, with uh, the bright red glittery tights, the Chris Jericho style kick pads, the hair in an Alice band, the immaculate golden tan, which oh. the immaculate golden tan has stayed to this day. Instant heat, instant heat. Absolutely. <laughs> I, it was just an annoying, annoying div. And it, it then kind of progressed from there. It went from being the annoying kind of it boy to kind of morphing into almost like a, a, a straight up hero character, a guy who just never backed down, never gave up. And But that came over the course of 12, 15 years. So it mm. was quite a big uh big character arc big personality arc and i actually want to talk about what actually well based the beginning of your wrestling career and you made your professional debut in 2003 Absolutely. Uh, nearly 20 years ago for all-star promotions oh, i've yes. never seen him as a kid man like jade snake wasn't in the best state but it was at the time it was mind-blowing but that's but, it. yeah um how was the experience for you for your official debut did you also have any of your friends or family there as well because the reason i asked is is a lot of people that i've interviewed they actually have had their friends and family there that's it. It was at, so it was an all-star wrestling show in Stevenage was my debut. I was in a rumble and I was essentially a cannon fodder. There were, Joe Legend was on the show. David Flair was on the show. It was almost a who's who of British wrestling. Robbie Brookside was uh, on the event. Johnny Kidd was wrestling a Spider-Man on the day to kind of lift back the veil. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I, I was cannon fodder. And I've got a really quite fun story about having friends and family there. Go for it. So, uh, my, I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast, but it's brilliant. So my aunts on my dad's side of the family are quite, quite rowdy. You know, they're, they're uh, not, not women to be trifled with. So I had this debut match and my dad actually reminded me of this when I spoke to him a few weeks ago. And um, after the match, they went up to these enormous Canadian dudes. They were called the Chemical Cowboys. And I started giving them real grief about kind of uh, just giving me a beat down in this rumble. Okay, I was like, no, no, it's cool. It's cool. It's great. But yeah, they, <laughs> guys were like, oh my God. 
they're a bit intense. I'm like, yeah, that's my family. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was like quite a, a wild start. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, if they were 20 years younger, my aunts would probably be, you know, the most terrifying tag team on the scene. <laughs> it also says about how well you did, like you was able to get them to sort of feel like, sympathize for you. Like. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> like the, the whole Ricky Morton kind of, uh, the sale job started from there oh, on in. The baby face, like, oh, that's, that's awesome, it, Crawling, inching, help me, help me. You know, it works. It's, it's yeah, that's, that's 90% of the act right there. I can't believe David Flair was there, by the way. That's just really random. But... That is a random one. And completely random story. At one point, I uh, went out to, I don't know, go to the loo or something. And uh, I came back. And, I mean, this is 2003. So the phones with the old Nokia 3310s. Mm-hmm. And I saw David Flair just putting my phone down and kind of scarpering. And he changed the languages to the uh, language setting to Turkish. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he was just trying to get, get the new guy. But luckily, that was like one of my ribs that I do on my mates outside of wrestling. So I could changed the settings on my old Nokia 3310 without looking. I didn't read a word of Turkish, but I could just kind of rattle back to, uh, have, yeah. to, to a familiar <laughs> language, you know, it like seven clicks and two flicks upwards. It was something like that. I'm like, yep, done, sorted. Do you know what's sad? There's going to be listeners out there that I've never ever heard of a Nokia 3210. And that makes me sad. Like it's one of my first ever phones as well. And just yeah. absolute brick. You didn't even have to, you literally didn't have to charge it for like a week. Yeah, like a week's charge. Can you imagine that? A week's charge on a mm-hmm. mobile phone. Whereas now I think like I, I get a few hours. Like two charges a day on my phone. Yeah, it's yep. charged in the car. It's charged in the morning. Like I think it probably goes about three hours between being plugged into a charge point. It's wild. Scary, man. I mean, there's more on it, but still, it's just oh, it. so scary, man. So you've wrestled against British legends and you've mentioned Johnny Kidd already, but Johnny Storm, a personal favourite of mine, mate. Oh. Like, Johnny, one of the first wonderful. British wrestling um, people I ever saw live. He just blew me away. And yeah. uh, Brian Maxine as well. I just want to ask from your uh, point of view, what was it like being in the ring with them? And, um, you know, sort of what are they like in terms of guiding you along the matches? It's When you're in the ring with the likes of Johnny Storm, Doug Williams, old school guys, Brian Maxine, Johnny Kidd, Steve Gray, you can't help but have that sense of reverence for them because mm. they are that good. You know, Johnny Storm has been at the pinnacle. Johnny Storm, Doug Williams, Jody Fleisch, they've been at the pinnacle of British wrestling for 20 years now. And I don't think there's been anybody who's surpassed them in terms of what they can do. They're still evergreen. Incredible. And Doug coming out of retirement again, I caught some clips of uh, one of his matches the other week. He's he's not Mr. Step and Doug is Mm. still the absolute best thing going. So to be in the ring with guys of that caliber and to been fortunate enough to travel with with uh, like Johnny Kidd, Johnny Storm fairly regularly at times as well. Just to kind of be around them and to just bounce ideas off them, it's absolutely invaluable. And that's something where for a lot of, re- of young wrestlers now, I think mm. they are missing that opportunity to just pick the brains of the, the caliber of wrestler that, that is still around because they're not on every show. You know, when I started, there would be a Johnny Storm on every show, a Johnny Kidd, a Robbie Brooks, I'd be like these guys. And I wish I could go back 18, 19 years ago and say, just ask these people questions, just kind of mm. sit near them a bit more, ask them a bit more questions. But of course, when you're the rookie who's like 18 years old, you're just kind of sitting there putting your boots on and... Mm. Don't want to be annoying, but at the same time as a part of you, just wants to, you know, sort of absorb as much information as you can, cheer their ear off a little bit. A hundred percent, just pick their brains. And, you mm. know, w- when the time was right, I did, but I kind of wish I was almost that little bit more... More annoying. ...forthcoming <laughs> at times. Yeah, like, you just think, I'm not, not being disrespectful and mm. I'm not doing anything I shouldn't. And that would be something to any young wrestlers who are listening. Don't be afraid to ask experienced guys. You know, if there are guys of the caliber of Johnny, Jody, Doug, anyone like that, ask them. 
to watch a match, ask them for a tip, just sit and listen to them plan in a match, sit and mm. do as much as you can to be around them, just how they conduct themselves, how they can uh, conduct their business, just absorb as much as you can because guys like that are, you can't pay for an education in wrestling like that. Mm. It just, you're so fortunate to be around wrestlers of that caliber. So just use it and kind of abuse it to your, to your best uh, that you can. I just remember having like the VHSs, like FAW, um, FWA, sorry, and just Flash and Storm just going at it. I never got to see it live. I mean, I saw like Johnny Storm live a few times, Flash only once, but Storm out just such a mark, man, honestly. Yeah. But that's it's good to hear, man. But you was lucky enough to share a locker room and travel and be in the ring with him. But that's awesome, man. One thing I'm looking forward to asking is because it's a first for the show. It's, uh, I want to know, what's it like wrestling and living in Dubai? Uh, short answer is hot, but uh, um, <laughs> otherwise it was incredible. Um, I had such brilliant opportunities that were given to me in quite a short time. We had uh, the WWE come down to where we trained and have a look at us ahead of this great big tryout that they had at the Dubai Opera House um, that was hugely publicized, loads of press. And to be there, I, I would guess in the you know, preliminary strengths, uh, preliminary stages of that. There we go. I put my teeth in and speak proper words. <laughs> preliminary stages of that was, was incredible because I remember speaking to the guy who ran Dubai pro wrestling at the time, uh, which was the, the uh, pro wrestling company there. And he said, are oh, you going to come down? Are you going to make sure that you're there? And I was initially a bit kind of hesitant because I didn't want to get in the way because I knew that it was a, if you're in the middle East, you're casting for a middle East and, wrestler or kind of performer or athlete whatever's from there yeah and being a bald caucasian well if they need a bald white guy they just need to lean out the door at the performance center and go bald white guy 30s have at it you know so but i went there and i was uh, i was really really happy to work with a guy who ended up going to the main tryout which i thought okay hopefully i've played a role in there i managed to have a little chat with uh, canyon seaman so that whole evening was great I, you know for me i was thinking okay Perhaps I'm on the wind. I mean, this was a good few, this was October 2016 now. So it's nearly five years ago. Mm. But at the time I thought, okay, I'm probably on the wind down with my career from wrestling. Turns out I'm not, you know, wrestlers never retire. They just, uh, I've noticed that. that's it. But um, on that night, I was properly on WWE's radar for however long it was. I got some really good feedback from the guy who's in charge of hiring and firing. And I thought, you know what? That's, that's absolutely incredible. That's an incredible memory made. Mm. And other things that we did in Dubai were incredible. We, uh, um, we wrestled at a beach bar called Zero Gravity. And on the, we were the sandwich in between two slices of Justin Bieber. And uh, <laughs> on the Thursday night, Justin Bieber was there and I believe did an impromptu concert. We were there on the Friday and then on the Saturday, Justin Bieber rocked up again there as well. So to be the unofficial sandwich, feeling, <laughs> I don't think there's any other people in wrestling who have got that, that acclaim. So like I said at the top, I, uh, I love to have those uh, claims to fame and being the, the first one to do that. So I was the first British wrestler to be sandwiched by Justin Bieber appearances wrestling in Dubai. And I reckon I'm going to be the only to, uh, to have ever done that. Fucking awesome, man. I like that. I mean, I, <laughs> I was sandwiched by Justin Bieber. Where? Dubai. <laughs> Dubai. There's, there's our, there's our uh, intro clip, right? That is it, mate. That's the, that is going to be the clip that I'll be sharing. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Though. I did. What does the um, WWE try itself? What is it actually like sort of consists of? Like, what the drill is? It's like very strict drills, or you know, how many times you get in the ring, that sort of thing. 
Well, this one was a bit of a unique one, as I think at the time, the guy who was running the Dubai wrestling organization, there was talk of WWE looking to have a Middle Eastern hub. You know how they've got the, the PC in the UK and London? Yeah. At the time, there was a lot of talk of them looking to have hubs around the world. And they may well be, but at that time, I was kind of privy to the conversation that they were looking to do it. So I think it was almost kind of, this is what we can offer here. So we did some drills. All the kind of usual standard drills, movement drills, positioning drills, agility drills, stuff like that. And then a select number of us did some uh, some short matches where we just kind of showcased, you know, that we have a good understanding of the fundamentals and can put on a match. And yeah. um, we always managed to draw a bit of a crowd at the facility that we wrestled at. So it was, uh, it was in quite a unique area of Dubai. It was in uh, the area where there was a lot of migrant workers. So they would always kind of come by and hear all of this noise and poke their heads in. And lo and behold, within a few minutes, we'd have 50 people kind of cheering and going, what is this absolute chaos we're watching? Yeah. So we had a bit of a crowd and I, I, I'm quite fortunate in the sense that I can connect with the crowd. That's one of the things that I would say is quite high in my skill set. I can draw a crowd in. So I got quite a crowd behind me. They were chanting rich, 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 as, as rich and famous back then, which yeah. is quite cool. So I thought, okay, I've really managed to show to top WWE brass that I can get over very, very quickly in a weird scenario. I love it, man. I was going to ask, I think sort of answer the next question I was going to ask, like, what are the fans like in Dubai and sort of, do they have their own chance or that I, I doubt it's going to be like strong style out there, but I just, yeah. is there anything that separates them in a way or is it just new to them in a way? It is very new to them. That's probably the best way to put it. Cause uh, mm. I remember again, talking with a guy who was trying to establish things out there. He was trying to establish a bit of an identity for pro wrestling in the UAE. There's a huge culture of judo and jiu-jitsu there and mm. trying to get pro wrestling established. So we were saying, okay, do we go for more like a UWF by, you know, early 90s, New Japan sort of strong style Bushido sort of concept? Or do we go for a wrestling concept? Or do we go for, you know, what sort of genre of wrestling? And it was, you know, the most successful is the WWE style, quote unquote. So that is what, what we were trying to deliver and when we were performing at the world trade center which is another incredible venue to perform at uh, considering i'd seen some i'd seen tiesto and 30 seconds to mars perform there and i'd been to all sorts of different events and been yeah. performing the same arena as those was was another incredible thing and we had um there was a lot of other sports and the athletes from there would end up coming to watch the wrestling shows on a friday night that would be like the big culmination of the week and there were times, and I've, uh, I'll post it up on Instagram and uh, Twitter. There's a great photo of a load of uh, a lot of Filipino basketball players there, and I'm making my way to the ring, and I'm about a foot and a half taller and broader than them, and they're <laughs> cheering and really going wild. There's some brilliant photos. I'll have to post those up. And that was really good that we could get receptions from people there. There was mm. that obvious language, culture, and understanding barrier of what exactly wrestling is but they they bought into it hook line and sinker they loved what they saw so that was an absolutely mm. incredible thing to do and it shows that just the kind of the concept and the love of wrestling is completely universal there is no language or yeah you know, social or cultural barrier to it i love that man that's awesome like just the way you're telling me the story you're smiling about it, it just yeah i can imagine would you ever go back there Oh, I would go in a heartbeat. You know, I'm mm. uh, I'm still kind of uh, thinking of ways to to head back out there. So, uh, yeah, it, it's the uh, you know the few words of Arabic I picked up. I think the main one is Inshallah, God willing, I'll uh, I'll be there one day. So, uh, yeah. I could speak English, but uh... <laughs> I, I struggle with English. But somehow I've managed to pick up like keywords that aren't just swearing in quite a few languages. 
So I reckon if I ever broke my leg in, in most places in the world, I'd be able to say, it take me to the hospital <laughs> or can I have a beer? So, or <laughs> that's take it. me to the hospital. That is can literally, everyone in England, like, this is like beer. That's all we need to learn. Beer, that's beer, it. beer. Ask politely, you know, <laughs> you know, as vi beer, bitte, you know, I mean that in German, it's super easy because it's just, you know, <laughs> it sounds very similar. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so rude sometimes when I'm going abroad, I'm just like, beer, like, yeah oh don't it's i get really weird anxiety when i try and speak a different language that's probably why i've never fully grasped a foreign language is because i get really weird anxiety when i'm mm. you know i i can speak i had one night out when i was in in the uae and um apparently i was speaking what seemed to be fluent french with uh, somebody who didn't speak any english and only spoke french one night my friends come back half an hour later and i'm having this super intense well in-depth conversation like i didn't know you spoke french and i said nor did i but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one night that i uh, apparently could speak french <laughs> bloody yeah oh that's fair man i'm too i'm too lazy when it comes to the languages but um what i want to ask is you actually mentioned it earlier uh, about receiving coaching I want to ask because you do coaching yourself yes. and, uh, you know, give, you know, basically train talent, up and coming talent. I want to ask what is coaching like for you? It's something that I absolutely love to do. Um, mm. There's friends of the show, uh, JB and uh, Chris from uh, the Snap, Gra Snap Grapple and Cheap Pops podcast as well. Friends of the show. They are trading on me way, way, way back when. And I love it because for me, kind of being selfish coaching gives you the opportunity to really reflect on what you're doing you get a chance to break down even the most basics and think okay how am i performing this why am i performing this what effect does this have how can i make this better mm. um if there's anybody who's listening who's really looking for ways to improve it i'm pretty much now a disciple of uh, tyson dukes the uh, canadian independent wrestler because he is constantly posting so many wonderful tutorials about okay this is how to get the most out of this hold this is how to really kind of make the most of something and it is having that simplistic nature and think okay this is so useful and for me as a coach that's something where i really had the chance to go okay i can do this why am i doing this when am i doing this how mm. am i doing this what effect does this have where could i use this better so really for me coaching has a great uh, way not only of passing on your understanding but completely enhancing yours by making it a lot more practical okay i can understand that that's pretty cool uh, one thing i have to ask before i wrap the interview up is i want to know what have been some of your favorite companies that you've worked for wow there's been uh, there's been millions i mean sunset skips gone coast to coast like butter on toast mm -hmm. but i'd say the, the first one that jumps out is uh ubw it's been my home since it, it first launched uh, as rich and famous sunset skip was the first ever champion there and it's always been something that's been real close to home premier promotions run by the legendary john freemantle is always somewhere i've been very very fortunate enough to perform because i've had the opportunity to step in the ring with the likes of johnny kidd brian maxine johnny storm the Knight Dynasty, there's been so many names where I've been so fortunate enough to, to learn from and be opposite and in the ring against those. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're some of the main ones. And then Good Wrestling was another one in uh, Milton Keynes, Northamptonshire based. Had a handful of performances for them. They're one that I absolutely love because they've got quite a raucous, well-informed over-18s crowd. And I think they they really get the uh, the hang of the Sunset Skip character, the guy who's kind of uh, made every territory and is a little bit strung out, a little bit lively. And they seem to uh, to respond to uh, to that guy who's uh, full of Peruvian marching powder. To officially wrap this up, for the listeners out there, we've mentioned him a lot, and I mentioned him in the intro quite heavily. Can you tell the listeners who exactly is Sunset Skip? 
Well, let me tell you, man, Sunset Skip, what can I say? It goes a little something like this. This is a man who has managed to wrestle seven continents in a day. He managed to defeat 38 Bears. He's a 76-time Pan-Arabian champion. His next aim is to be the first pro wrestler to compete in space going through the stratosphere. Sunset Skip is your pro wrestling favorite wrestler of all time. Preach. <laughs> Preach. You all need a bit of Sunset Skip in your life. Where Absolutely. can fans find you on social media? It's funny enough, they can find Sunset Skip on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Find Sunset Skip. If you look for the hashtag Find Sunset Skip, you'll find more incredulous facts about Sunset Skip, including how Sunset Skip doesn't believe in the country Finland. It's all uh, it's all a bit of a myth, and how uh, Finland is something that Sunset Skip's going to look to uh, disprove as the world progresses on. <laughs> Oh, no, another film, man. <laughs> oh, thank you for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure for everyone that oh, has listened to this episode, man. I've missed doing this. I've missed talking to guests such as Sunset Skip. It's been a pleasure. There'll be more episodes coming out soon. But for now, listen to my sponsors and football will come home. Hello everyone, I'm back and I've got a special announcement for my next guest. Going coast to coast like butter on toast, it is Sunset Skip and this is the What You Call It podcast. Now Sunset Skip, I've been to the moon more times than NASA. I, my launch trajectory may not be going all the way to the moon. I'm going beyond the stratosphere. Well, you we heard. <laughs>